history, what would Jesus do with refugees? And I think it's very appropriate after what we heard from Valley about the situation in, in Afghanistan and the work that she's doing there. And given what's going on in the Middle East and other parts of the world where there are so many refugees, I think it's a good question. What would Jesus do with refugees? It's uh, the UK political party season at the moment. The issue of immigration and things around that is a very hot topic. And I'm not going to. I'm going to try to steer clear of the specifics of the politics, but nonetheless, we've got to think about what is Jesus' perspective on those who are refugees. Not talking today about immigration so much, but more about specifically uh, refugees. And I, I, won't, I don't understand what it means to be a refugee. I don't know if anybody here has had that specific experience. Maybe I never will understand it. This morning, I'm not going to compare what happened to me this morning to being a refugee, but something happened this morning that I did find helpful. Uh, I got up at 6 o'clock as usual, and at 6.15, the lights in the house went off. In fact, everything went dead. We had a power cut. Everything, all the lights were dark, you know, nothing. Penny, Penny lit some candles, we got some torches out. Fortunately, I had made my first cup of tea for the day, <laughs> so I was allowed to go I was actually alive while uh, the lights were on, so I had to drink some tea. But the lights went down, we called the National Grid, there was some kind of problem with, uh, on our streets in the area. They came out and fixed it after about an hour and a half. And I'm not going to compare that with being a refugee, but what it did for me, and as I went out and uh, I went out to pray while, while the lights were off and everything anyway, it occurred to me how much I take what I have for granted. I take it for granted I can turn the switch on and the light's there. I take it for granted I can make my cup of tea. I was, I was thinking, oh no, I'm going to have to come to church without a hot breakfast. Oh no, I'm going to have to come to church without having a hot shower. Oh no, oh, I mean, like, that's the worst thing. It really puts it in perspective. I started thinking, what's the worst that's going to happen to me today? I'm going to be without power for a few hours. I'm going to have to eat a cold breakfast. Oh dear. Maybe I'll come to church without having had a shower. And some of you may suffer. <laughs> but we live in such a comfortable world. Even, honestly, some of us in difficult circumstances, honestly, but compared to what it means to be refugee. So I hope today, if nothing else, we can get our sort of our perspective right. You know, there's so many people in this world that live in desperate situations and desperate accommodation and circumstances that are largely hidden from us. Occasionally we see things, of course, on the news. But most, there are millions and millions of people today. Um, of course, we have had refugees with us not too long ago. And there are still so many uh, from Ukraine and other places. And right now in the Middle East, there's who knows how many refugees and what they're going through. Let me tell you something about Watford. You know, Watford uh, has been a center of Afghan refugees. Bali was talking about what happened when the Allied forces left Afghanistan, and many of the people there that had worked with the Allied forces or, or uh, Western charities were in danger, and many, many left. And the UK took a lot, and Watford was one of the centres. You may not have known There are over 400 refugees from Afghanistan that were brought to live in two Watford hotels and a few other places. 
Uh, in fact, wasn't it the hotel where you were working at? That's one of them, the main one, actually. Um, Halfords in Watford donated equipment. Um, just, you know, that stuff that doesn't get into the news. They just gave bikes and bike locks and helmets and things to a lot of the Afghan refugees. Uh, Shoe Zone in Watford has a Christian chair of the organ of the, um, the trustees board, and they did a thing where they, they gave 15 pound vouchers to every Afghan refugee so they could buy something for them or their children. This stuff doesn't get in the news. Wow. Uh, a lot of the churches in Watford have been very involved. Christ First, in particular, that uh, used to meet around the corner from here, uh, they've been the lead church in this. But St. Luke's, where Leon and Sarah got married, uh, uh, were involved. St. Mary's in the center of town, Soul Survivor, uh, Christ Church, Salvation Army, the Ark Church, and many others helped with money, with clothing, with all kinds of things, and, uh, and time, spending time with the people, of course, who didn't speak English, and lots of children, men, a lot of them were women without their husbands, but with their children, and are not, a lot of them weren't allowed out of the hotel for long periods of time, so Christians would go in and spend time with them and do activities with the kids. Uh, some of the churches gave four computers and a printer, set up an IT room and gave computer lessons. They uh, hired minibuses and took the kids and, and parents out to various activities. They set up some pool and table tennis tables, swing ball, lots of other games. They ran a Monday night club for younger children, a Thursday youth club for older boys. There were two football pitches they managed to figure out in the Mercury grounds, I think, right, Nana? Um, Saturday morning games, picnic events at a local school, <coughs> lots of football, bowling, snooker, cooking for the ladies, craft sessions, weekly activities, a children's film night, mostly cartoons because the kids didn't speak any English, um, conversation classes, a youth club. This has been going on for two years, very much under the radar. And I just want to say I'm very proud of our town you know, that, that, and the Christians in this town that have labored hard to be a support to people going through such difficult, <coughs> such difficult times. We need to pray for these people because they've now been moved out of the hotels and that sort of phase is over. And so it's not clear for a lot of these people where their lives are going. I'm indebted to a chap I've got to know called Brian Nell, who's coordinated a lot of this and sent me this information. <coughs> Met him a few times. So that's, this is us, you know, this is what we, and we have had one or two Afghani people here, as we know from a little while ago. And maybe we need to rekindle those connections. Uh, this is a world map from our world in data. Uh, number of refugees per thousand population. These are the countries in the world where the highest proportion per population of refugees have come from or are coming from in 2022, at least the last year with full uh, statistics. I think I'm right in saying that I've lost the number. I don't know if it's on that chart. It's not, but the total number of refugees in the world today, now, I didn't write it down, so I'm gonna do this from memory, but someone can correct me if they can find out if I'm wrong. I believe currently in the world, globally, right now, there are something like 25 million refugees. This is not a small issue. Not a small issue. And we talk about this and we look at stats like that and we think, well, uh, what can I do? <laughs> what can we do? I mean, it's rather overwhelming, isn't it? So that's why we're going to go and think a little bit here about what God thinks and what Jesus thinks. And this is not your typical sermon. I'm just going to give you some scriptures and ask us to think and pray about this. And then 
see what we can do to imitate the heart of Jesus in some way towards people who are refugees today. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, it talks about God. It says, he defends the case, the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you, this is God's people, the Israelites, you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And of course, how did they end up in Egypt? How did the people of Israel end up there? They were, they were refugees from a famine. Right? It was a famine that drove them there. It was an economic and, and, and a food-induced uh, refugee movement, you could say, at that time. That's how they ended up there. And God gives instructions to his people. And foreigner means, foreigner means anybody's not an Israelite. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Now that's a high calling, isn't it? Treat them as if they are native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God thinks the vulnerable need protecting. God feels compassion for the vulnerable. And he wants his people to feel and be the same. Let's go to the New Testament. A famous passage many of us will have read, and a very hard-hitting one in Matthew 25, and we haven't got time to read the whole passage here, but what, is, what does Jesus say to people? And in this sort of story parable, he says, when, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick. And you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. This is the behavior Jesus expects of his followers towards the strangers, those who are vulnerable. We might think of the parable of the Samaritan, of course, if you want to go into now in Luke 10, where Jesus says, this is, the, this is who your neighbor is. It's like the guy who's beaten up. Look after him. Be like the Samaritan, not like the religious people in the story. In Hebrews chapter 13, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now, of course, in that culture, a stranger was a vulnerable person. We're not talking about somebody you bump into on the street. What he's talking about there is in that culture, if you were traveling through an area and you didn't have family there, where were you going to stay? You were going to stay with somebody who would invite you in. It was normal in that culture, and it's normal in still many cultures today, but perhaps some represented here, that that would happen in your local town, in your local village. That there'll be strangers who would come in and they're passing through, and you don't leave them out there on the street. There's no premier in, uh, there's no place for them to stay, there's no Airbnb. They have to stay in somebody's house and so they get invited in. Because they're vulnerable. If they stay out there during the night, A, there's wild animals, B, there's bad bits. I mean, who knows what might happen? So don't neglect to show hospitality to those strangers, those vulnerable ones. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Exactly what that means, I don't know. Theologians debate that a lot. But nonetheless, the point stands that we're called to show hospitality <laughs> to those who are vulnerable. And I suppose in the end, we should consider the example of Jesus 
the experience of Jesus himself. When the wise men had gone, in Matthew chapter 2, when they'd gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, Jesus' father, in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child, that's Jesus, and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Egypt comes up again. Go to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child, for Jesus, to kill him. So he, Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and <coughs> left, left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son's prophecy about Messiah. Now what did Herod do when Jesus and his family had left? He slaughtered all the boys, two years and younger, in that area of Bethlehem. Massacre. Jesus would have been amongst that number. But he was a refugee. <coughs> a refugee in Egypt. For a number of years. Jesus knows what it's like to be a refugee. He knows more about that than many of us here. Jesus, therefore, of course, understands what refugees go through today better than any of us here can. Jesus wants the vulnerable protected. Jesus feels compassion towards those who are that vulnerable. And more than compassion, in fact, he has empathy. He has an ability to empathize because of his own experience. And surely he hopes that we, his followers, would feel the same. We'd act accordingly with compassion. <coughs> now that acting in compassion isn't always easy. We'd like to think that we're people of compassion. We'd like to think, yes, I would, would respond. If there was a stranger in need, I'd have them in my house and I'd do this. And I, it's always easy to say it, but when push comes to shove, it's not always as easy. I'll give you a, a, a very small example <coughs> of uh, my week this week. I was here on Tuesday in the back room at Cafe West, Lissy and others, Pat and so on, and I was having a nice cup of coffee and I was having a very nice cup of, uh, slice of cake, uh, which the bakers do a fantastic job in Cafe West on a Tuesday. And I was sitting there with a chap called James Wilson and another fellow on a table just having a chat. And, uh, and <coughs> James said, what are we going to do for this fellow? And I said, what do you mean? And when I got talking to him, and this other fellow, whose name I forget, he'd lost his son. And he's, he's got a lot of health challenges. He's had a brain injury. He's blind in one eye. He's quite deaf. I, I forget all of his health challenges, but they are numerous. And it's very challenging life for him. But he'd lost his phone. And I was like, I'm sorry you lost your phone. That's, that's really annoying, was my response. But James, sitting next to me, said, well, what are we going to do? I said, what do you mean? What are we going to do for him? I was like, yeah, what are you going to do for him? I mean, I was, I'm just here for a cup of coffee and a chat, right? It's not a close suit. I mean, I'm enjoying my cake. Leave me alone. No, what are we going to do? I thought, oh, uh, well, uh, uh, what kind of phone is it? He, he said, I don't know. Well, if we can do find my phone, if it's an iPhone, can we do that on an Android? I don't know, I'm not an Android person. We start talking about all that, and I asked him, well, when's the last time you saw your phone? And he said, the last time I remember having it was in the shop across the road, just over there. 
And so I said, oh, well, the last time you saw it was over there. So James said, why don't you go over to the shop over the road and find out? I said, oh, okay. So, <laughs> so I left my coffee and my slice of cake, half eaten, and I went across the road to the shop he told me about. And I went in there and I started talking to a lady who didn't speak any English. So I was trying to make myself understood with sign language about phones. Anyway, I, I, I just couldn't, couldn't make, uh, I couldn't make myself understood. Then another chap comes into the shop and works in the shop, and he said, ah, oh, what is it about a phone? Oh, yeah, yeah, you can look at He says, I'll find, I'll look it up online. There's a website you can go to. I was like, okay. He was tremendously helpful. Couldn't find the phone. I had the number, I tried it. He just went straight to voicemail. The battery's probably dead, whatever. Anyway, we then have a long conversation in the shop about, no, he didn't leave it here. I do know the person we're talking about. Yes, I've met him before, but he often comes in here. Sometimes he's put his phone there, sometimes there, sometimes there. And he walks out of the shop and I say afterwards, come, come back, you've forgotten your phone. And, and, and all of this added very interesting. Um, we couldn't find the phone. But I, and I came back to the cafe and I said, I'm really sorry, but it's not in the shop. Um, but the chap in the shop said, if you go into the shop, he will help you to see if he can find the phone. He's got this website you can use. And so so I, I still don't know how that turned out. I must go back on Tuesday, I suppose, and find out. But the point of the story for us here is that I was fine sympathizing with the fact he lost his phone. But when it came to what am I going to do, I, 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 was, I was shocked at how resistant I was to do it. It really bothered me that it wasn't an instant, of course, I'll do anything I can. Not a good thing. And I think that's, that's where, that's where we got to push through, right? And maybe we need a nudge. Like, I needed this chap James to give me a nudge. I needed that. Maybe we need a nudge like listen to Bali today, or listen to scriptures like this. To take action to help people that are vulnerable. The fact that you and I feel powerless about so much that's going on in the world doesn't mean we don't have some power to act. The fact we can't change things beyond our control doesn't mean we, mean we can't make a change somewhere to someone. So you may be wondering what this fella has to do with our topic. Who recognizes him? <coughs> Anybody recognize him? <laughs> Gary Babbittstein. Yes, excellent. He's diabetic. He's diabetic. Type 1. Type 1 diabetic. Played professional football. Very good daddy knows everything about football. Uh, of course, he played for a team that's not the favorite of some of us in this room. My <laughs> <laughs> Um He was a professional footballer. He's my age. I want to say you and me. Uh, playing professional football for many, many years, type 1 diabetic, really challenging situation. Um, long retired now, of course. And I, I was listening to a podcast recently and discovered this fact about him. He was always known as a nice guy, but I don't, I don't really know anything more about him. But during, he's like an ambassador for Spurs, because he played for Spurs almost all of his professional life. And during COVID, he took it upon himself to ring up Spurs supporters and see how they were doing. Vulnerable, ones that were known to be vulnerable. Spurs supporters that he, he that the Spurs organization knew about <laughs> that were over 70. So he gets this list of the over 70s who are Spurs supporters and starts ringing them up. How are you? How are you? How are you? It's tough in COVID. How's it going? He called 
Oh, he called it over 2,500 people. Wow. Yeah. He spent over 625 hours on the phone. I don't know what you and I were doing in COVID, but we were getting by, you know, we were doing our best. I thought, oh, he's, he's, he doesn't know most of these people, right? They know him because he's famous, you know? He doesn't know them. They wouldn't, they wouldn't notice if he hadn't called them. They wouldn't have expected it. How does he know if that phone call would make any difference to any of them? 2,500 calls. And he's a type 1 diabetic. That's a bit of a challenge. And he's my age, so he's old. That's all relative. Um, I just, I just love that example and think there is something that we can do. We may not be able to fly out somewhere and directly hands-on help a refugee, maybe not. But maybe there's something we can do for somebody who is vulnerable. God cares about refugees. God knows how refugees feel. He is available to them. I think the question is, do I care? And am I available? To help. Can I make a difference? If a type 1 diabetic can do that, I can do something. We can all do something. Wrapping up before we take communion together. Maybe this scripture is helpful. This is uh, some excerpts from the passage that goes from chapter 2, verse 11 to verse 22. God is reminding through the Apostle Paul, his people, as to who we were and who we now are. He says, remember that you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. You didn't belong. And foreigners, that word again, to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were born, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, members belong by the blood of Christ. We've been brought in by Jesus' compassion. We now belong. Who can we have to feel like they belong? There are some suggestions and a lot of words to some things we can do. And there's some more on a link to my on my website, which is in the lot of word. Those are practical things we can do. But first of all, we've got to get the compassion of Christ in our mind. And taking bread and wine reminds us how fortunate we are. That may help our compassion. So before we take bread and wine, we're going to pray to God. And then to